I read our text or quoted our text this morning in our huddle, and somebody got goosebumps. The Word of God, how many of you have ever read the Word of God? It's given you goosebumps. It is powerful. It is powerful. It's life-changing. Amen? And uh, this is a very powerful passage of, of Scripture. There are six awesome facets about the Lord in this one little verse. And so we're going to talk about the wonder of life in Christ. Next week, we're going to talk about the wonder of life in the Spirit. And then uh, two weeks from today, we're going to talk about the wonder of our faith. All out of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Now, there are, as I said, six facets here. We're only going to cover one of those facets today. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. Pastor Chad's not going to preach the everlasting gospel today. I preached a message one time down in Kentucky. And, and the pastor said, That's a, that was a great message. I said, thank you. He said it would have made a wonderful series. <laughs> Anybody ever preach that long? All right. So we're breaking this one up into three different messages. So today we're going to hear about uh, our, our life in Christ. We're going to focus on this part of this scripture where it talks about he was manifest in the flesh. Next week, he was vindicated in the spirit. And then the following week, we're going to look at the other four facets of this revelation about Jesus. It's a revelation of Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I forgot my readers today, so if I'm straining, you'll understand why. I've got three pairs of readers. They're all in the exact same spot in my vehicle that we didn't bring to church today. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. What a marvelous revelation of our God, of our Lord, and our Savior. He was manifested in the flesh. Vindicated by the Spirit. He, he was seen by the angels. Preached amongst the nations. Believed on in the world. And taken up into glory. You know, a lot of times we read things about the Lord and we just take them for granted. Because we've been around church for 30, 40 years. And so we just start taking the, the truths of the gospel for granted. I hope, if anything, that I can stir all and wonder for our Savior, through these the series of messages that we're doing, that we would stand in awe of our mighty God. He's awesome. Amen? If you go back up a verse to verse 9, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9, it says that deacons must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Deacons must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience conscience. Two times in this uh, chapter where it talks about mystery, right? Now, those are things not understood. Th those are not things that we don't understand. A lot of times we get that twisted. We, we read this word mystery and it's, think it's beyond us. It's something that we cannot grasp. And that's not what it's referring to. The word there, mysterion, in, in, in the Greek, it literally means that which had been hidden and is now revealed, right? That which had been hidden and is now revealed. 
We're blessed because we are a part of a people that have a better covenant. There was the first covenant and the second covenant. There's the old covenant and the new covenant. And the Bible says that this new covenant that we have partaken in through the blood of Jesus Christ is a better covenant. The old, old covenant was mediated by the angels. This new covenant was mediated by our high priest, Jesus Christ. That old covenant was made effectual only by the blood of bulls and goats. But this new covenant is made effective by the blood of the Lamb, the Son of God himself who shed his blood for us. We are partakers of a better covenant. And this new covenant is actually hidden in the old. We have in the New Testament what is in the Old Testament concealed. Somebody said it this way, that in, it, it's re, it, it, what's concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament, right? And so the things of this covenant have unfolded to us. They've been revealed to us, right? And so he says, without controversy, great is the mystery, great is this thing that was hidden but now has been revealed to us. Without controversy, in other words, he says that, that these things are well understood. We're going to read another translation of this verse in just a minute, and hopefully that will make it uh, clearer for us. But uh, th this is simple truth. That in, in the time that this uh, book is written to Timothy, this letter was written to Timothy, these things were commonplace in the church. These were commonly understood truths about the Messiah, that he was manifested in the flesh, that he was vindicated by the, the Spirit of God, that, that he was seen by the angels, right? That he was preached uh, to the nations, that he was believed on in the world, and that he was received up into glory. This was common doctrine. This is well understood truth. It had been revealed and brought to the understanding of those whose eyes had been opened, okay? So that, that, that's some context for us. All right, Christmas. How many of you plan to re-gift a gift this year? Anybody? How many of you know what re-gifting is? How many of you went to the work party already and you got something that you're planning to give to your uncle? You hate it, but he will love it. Anybody? Anybody ever gotten a gift that had like somebody's name? Like, or maybe you know, we use those stickers, those labels. There's a label over a label. You peel your label off. Mine said to Chad, and you peel it off, and behind it there's a label that says to Steve. How many of you have been regifted, or have regifted? Right now, th those gifts are not as meaningful as when somebody finds out what your favorite is. Like, oh great, here's here's a box with a label that says Chad. Pull it back, it says Steve, and then it's you open it up, it's a box of socks. Very thoughtful. Hey, I like socks, by the way. When somebody finds out your favorite coffee, your, your, your favorite you know, brand name, shoe, or whatever it is, they find out what you really like, your favorite basketball team, buy you tickets to the game, or something that really is meaningful to you. I mean, think about what that means. Think, think about the difference there. Somebody's re-gifting you. Some, they, you get something that somebody got at their work party. Does that mean something to you? Does that make you feel really valued and appreciated? Right? See, there's a difference it's not the thought that counts, it's the gift. Let's be honest, right? It's the thought that counts. You didn't even think about it. You just stuck a sticker on it, put it under the tree. Come on. 
But think about how, what kind of gifts do we give to God? Where's your giving record? Tithes and offerings. What's your life of service to the Lord like? What's your attitude during worship? Are you a faithful witness? What kind of response are we giving to God? What kind of life are we giving in return? You think about what, Jesus didn't hold anything back, did he? God God has withheld nothing from us. The Bible said he spared not his own son. That's the kind of gift God gives to us. James says this way, every good and every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. God gives good gifts. What do we give in response? I always think of this passage in Malachi chapter 1 when it comes to gift giving. I want to read it to you. In, in Malachi 1, 6, it says, A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor that is due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who are contempt for my name, who, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on the altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By what saying that, that the Lord's table uh, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. And here's the response in verse 8: when you offer Blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? And when you sacrifice lame and diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Would you offer to the governor the things that you've given to God? Think about it. I realize that a lot of us don't have respect for governors or presidents in this room. And that's tragic and sad. Okay, so let's just say that Princess Kate, like you don't know all the gossip on her. She's just this royal out in the UK that's in the tabloids and everybody esteems. So let's just say Princess Kate, you get a a notification and Princess Kate is going to arrive at your home. What's going to happen you're going to give a long honeydew list to your husband. He's going to manicure the yard. He's going to clean the carpets. He's going to dust every corner. You, you, you're going to get the kids going. You're going to clean. You're going to get your best china out. You're going to prepare your, your best meal, right? You're going to go all, all out. Why? Honor. There, there's a reverence. There's an, an esteeming of that individual, And so you're going to give your best. Here's where Israel was at. Here's where the people of God were at. When they would come to worship, they were bringing the weak ones of their flock to offer sacrifices instead of the best. And he said, in doing this, you've made the table of the Lord contemptible. Right? So think about it. What kind of gifts do we give to God? And what do those gifts that we bring say about the way that we view God, the way that we regard God, the way that we esteem God? Do we treat God as holy, as uncommon, as a God who is set apart above all other gods, as the God that says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none like me. I am God and I have declared the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Have we forgotten how awesome and magnificent and wonderful that our God is? 
Because I believe that when we do, we begin to, to become half-hearted in our sacrifice, in our service, in our, our gift-giving, and, and what we offer to him. He's offered so much to us. What are we giving in return? What should our gift-giving look like? I believe it should look like Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Right? I believe it should look like Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, set apart, and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. One, one translation says it this way, and it's, it's the accurate translation, which is your reasonable duty, your reasonable response. When we stand back and contemplate all that God has done for us, how many of you have been saved? How many of you have been filled? How many of you have been made whole? How many of you have experienced healing? How many of you have been delivered? Anybody, anybody ever experienced a stronghold being broken off of your life? All that God has done for us in our lives. When we stand back and contemplate that, it is a reasonable service to serve the Lord. What we do in kids' ministry, what we do in preparation to preach, what we do in preparation to lead the congregation in worship, what we do to greet people at the door, what we do to witness to those that are lost, to go on the outreach, to go on the mission, whatever it is that we get opportunity to serve and, 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 and do to bring glory and honor to God. How do we approach that? Well, I know I signed up to serve kids, but my favorite team is playing. So I'm just going to call in sick today. Really, think about our attitudes towards our service to God, our half-heartedness, our lackadaisical attitude towards the things of God in the culture that we live in today. I know those football games seem so important. I don't know how many uh, football games that I thought it was like going to be the apex of all sports uh, experience that I've watched that I've already forgotten. I've forgotten the scores. I forgot the key plays. I forgot all about it. Because in reality, there are nothing of consequence. But how many of those things that without consequence do we put above the thing that has supreme consequence, supreme importance, the one who is holy, the one who is above all? We have been given a lot. I, I want us to look at this, this passage again, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I want to read it in the NIV. There, there is a hilarious video that I saw this week. It's, a, it's an African preacher. He's got that African accent. He's preaching over in Africa. It looks like a tent meeting or something like that. But they have the, the, power, the PowerPoint presentation. They're putting the scriptures up on the wall. And it's King James Version. You know that scripture where it says, that which I would do, I don't do. And that, He's trying to read that from the King James off the back wall. And he's stumbling over it, stumbling over it, stumbling over it. And he says, put it up in New King James. And he goes, no, hold, hold, back up. Put it up in the NIV. <laughs> Anybody ever feel like that? NIV. Beyond all question. There's no question about these things. Without controversy. This is just good, sound Christian doctrine that is accepted in the church. What is it? 
this mystery that's been revealed to us. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh. Think think about this. Think about what our God did for us as we read through this. Don't, Don't just read this. Contemplate this. Jesus appeared in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. We're going to unpack that next week. He was seen by the angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. So I want to take just a few minutes here, and I just want to unpack that first part up, that he was manifest in the flesh. Have you ever just stopped to think about the incarnation? Have you ever just stood in awe and wonder of this thing? God became man. Wow. The creator was in a womb. That virgin girl gave birth. They cleared that child's throat. And for the first time, the creator breathed the air that he had created. There there is just so much of this that when you stand back and contemplate it, And we take it for granted. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, I've been singing this song 50 years. We sing it without even really contemplating the, the, the weight of it, the gravity, to, to the point where uh, here comes Santa Claus becomes just as common as Oh, Holy Night. Or maybe Oh, Holy Night becomes just as common as Here Comes Santa Claus. Think about it. The wonder of what we're actually celebrating this month. And Jesus probably was not born December 25th, but that's okay. The reality is we celebrate this fact that he came every single day of our lives as believers. Right? And I'm glad that our our world, the majority of our world, will pause for a moment and recognize the fact that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Amen? But have you ever really just stopped to think about that? He was manifest in the flesh. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Check this out. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And you skip down to verse 14, it says the, this word, this, this word that was in the beginning, and that was with God, and that was God, was made flesh. The word became flesh, and dwelt among us. 
And we beheld, or we have seen, his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. The eternal word of God. became flesh. I think of that psalm. I think it's, is it the sixth psalm? What is man that you are mindful of him? Really, what are we? Worms. Rebellious Worms. Yet this God who created us loved us so much. He searched through all of the earth to, to find somebody to work justice. And because he could find none, the Bible said, he put on flesh himself. And he came and wrought justice. Wow. The God who created everything that we know Loves us that much. Loves his creation that much. That he robes himself in flesh and comes and dwells amongst us. We have to remember this is the one, according to Colossians 1, verse 16, who created all things in heaven and on earth, all that is visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all these things were created through him and for him. This God put on flesh because he loved us. Wow. It's amazing. Verse 17 tells us that he's the one who was before all things. And that in him, everything holds together. You realize that if Jesus ceased to exist, everything would dissipate. Everything would fall apart. That's, that's why he, sw he swore to Abraham with an oath, and the Bible says in Hebrews, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. This is what it looks like when God makes a promise. I have said it, and if it doesn't come to pass, I will cease to exist. That's how sure we can be of his word. Think about that. He holds it all together. The one who was before all things and through whom everything exists and was created and everything holds together. This is the one who put on flesh, humbled himself, and became a man. And, then, and I would encourage you, go read Colossians 1. Here's your homework. You better write it down. Make your pastor happy. At least pretend like you have a pen writing in your lap. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 through 20. But I like what verse 19 says. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That blows my mind. That God took on flesh. And that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in Christ. I can't comprehend. I've been studying. 
I, I, I know a guy, he has a doctorate in, in, in the Trinity, the Godhead, the nature of God. He, he studied this thing for 30 years probably. He has a doctorate in it. And he said, this is, this was, this is his conclusion after those 30-some years of studying it. I still don't fully understand it. I, I wonder at those people that are so dogmatic about the oneness of God or the triune nature of God, and they, get, they, they take these extreme statements about God and get real dogmatic about it, and I'm just standing there saying, like, it's a, I, I, it's a wonder to me. I don't see how you can be so dogmatic about it. I don't get it. The nature of God, it's, it's beyond us. Yeah, sure, he's one. But he's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It blows my mind and to think that it pleased the father that in the fullness or that in christ the fullness of the godhead should dwell it blows my mind church have, have we lost the wonder of these things because we have just become so familiar handling these truths and if we're not careful we'll get arrogant And why? why? Why did this happen? I, w- I want to put this back in the context of, of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and that life was the light of man. That's 1 through 4. And then 14, and the Word became flesh, and we have seen His glory. The glory is of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. Why did God do this? Why did the word become flesh? Why did God divest, step, step down out of heaven, step from glory, put his crown and scepter down for a, a brief time and robe himself in? Why did God do this? So I've read verses 1 through 4 and verse 14. Let's look at 12 and 13. Here's why. So that all who received him, and in the previous verses before this verse, Talk about all those who rejected. He came into his own, and his own would not receive him. But verse 12 tells us, All who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's a powerful truth of this, this gospel message that we preach. That if Jesus hadn't have done what he did, if he hadn't come in the flesh, lived as a man, and died in our place, there is absolutely no way that we could be saved. One thing that the, the Old Covenant, we talked about the Old Covenant, one thing that the Old Covenant speaks to us is that blood, the blood of bulls and goats can never save us. It took the offering of perfect blood, sinless human blood for our salvation. And so Christ had to come in the flesh. Hebrews, and Hebrews is a great book. I would encourage you, again, to go study. But Hebrews gives us great insight into this. The the incarnation has a lot to do with priesthood. Priesthood. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who is in every, in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Part of this thing of Jesus coming in the flesh, that he was manifest in the flesh, Jesus now is fully acquainted with our human experience. Jesus was the, they call him a carpenter's son. He was probably more accurately a rock mason's son. So he probably didn't make a desk for his mom as we see in the movies or kitchen table chairs. He was probably more accurately actually a rock mason. But I imagine that as a, a young apprentice working under his, his father Joseph that he probably hit his hand with, with that rock hammer at one time and probably had some bloody fingernails. Jesus, as a human, fully understands rejection, suffering, pain, joy, ecstasy, gratification, you name it. Every human emotion Jesus experienced. There's a debate out there whether or not Jesus had a sin nature. You can get in all, all, all of the... Uh, um, arguments and debates over, but it, it, here, here's what we do know for sure. Here's what we do know for sure. Jesus had a propensity to sin. Jesus was tempted. In other words, Jesus had the capacity, the ability to sin. And the temptation that he experienced was real temptation. If he did not have that propensity towards sin, the temptation would not be real, right? Right? So the temptation for lust, the temptation for greed, you name it. Any sinful behavior, any sinful desire, Jesus had the temptation for all of it. He was tempted, the Bible says, in every point as we are yet without sin. And we can categorize every temptation and every sin into the categories that Peter talks about, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jesus was tempted in the lust of the flesh. He was tempted in the, in the lust of our eyes. He was tempted in the pride of life. He was tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Never once did he, did he sin. God put on flesh, and I'm going to tell you what, in that flesh, there was nothing that, that we don't have as believers, he had access to the Spirit. That's why Jesus, he had to go away. In his flesh, he had to go away to pray, to receive power. Right? He went and communed with the Father. Why? So he could get the power from the Holy Spirit to do the work that God had called him to do. Right? We have access to the same Spirit. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week. He lived life in the flesh. Why? So that he could be a high priest. And, and, and it tells us much more about that. Let me, let me go back and reread this. Verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every aspect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So look at this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. So part of this priesthood, because he lived in the flesh, 
He's acquainted with our human condition. He's acquainted with our suffering. He's acquainted with our temptations. And, and because of that, in this priesthood, he is able to come to us and give us grace in our time of need. That's powerful truth. What, what exactly does this mean to us? Let's look at, verse, at, at chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2. We're almost done. Only 16 more passages. Only two. Only two more. Hebrews chapter 2. Let's look at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. Why did Jesus come in the flesh? Because we are flesh. Because we fell in the flesh. And he had to break the, the, the power of sin over us as a result of that, 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 that fall in his flesh. We are the children who share in flesh and blood, and he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death, this is powerful, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Let me ask you this. Why do you fear the enemy so much? Why do we treat him like he's all-powerful? Why do we fear death so much? Why do we fear anything at all? The reality, every, through the death of Jesus, every single enemy that we will ever face in this life is already defeated. Period. And he did that in his flesh, through his death. Amen? We don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden, but I, I imagine that pretty, they, they, it, 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 they weren't probably there like 900 years when they fi finally messed up. They probably messed up in the first week or two. It didn't take them long. It didn't take you long to mess it up either. It didn't take me long to mess it up. Jesus lived 33 and a half years without sin. When we screwed up, there was a curse. When we sinned, that's not even the right terminology. When we sinned, a curse came upon the human race. When Jesus came and lived a perfect life and shed that perfect blood, that curse was completely broken. That curse was broken. Amen? We're not under any curses. The curse is broken. The curse is broken. Through his death, he's destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And he delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Slavery. See, as long as you fear death, you're a slave. Live ready. Live ready to die. Be a martyr. martyr. Being a martyr is not choosing to die. Being a martyr is choosing how you're going to live. Being a martyr is choosing to live without fear. Right? The power of the Holy Spirit comes. In Acts, Acts 1 and 8, the, the, the Holy Ghost will come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You will be my martyrs. That's the literal word there. Martus. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it makes us martyrs. Willing to live without regard for our safety or well-being. For the sake of the gospel. 
right? We don't have to fear death. And if we, as long as we do, we are slaves. Verse 16, for surely it is not angels that he helps. And we're going to get into that two weeks from today. But he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that, did you see that? Jesus was made like us in every single respect. He was fully human. Fully human. He was able to be tempted. He had every human emotion, and yet he lived a life without sin. He was made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful glory and faithful glory. He is a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, to offer himself for the sins of the people. Check this out, verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. A big part of the reason that Jesus put on flesh, our God became a man. So they could help us in our time of temptation. I want to read one more passage, and I, I hope that this would help us to understand what that means to us as believers. There's a reason that this message is titled, The Wonder of Life in Christ. What does this mean? The fact that he was a high priest, who, he was a man who came in, in, in the flesh, he was tempted, lived life without sin, and now he's a high priest who's able to come to us in our temptations and give help in our time of need. He's a merciful and faithful high priest who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. What does this mean to us? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves the same way, with, with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Here's what that means. Jesus came for a greater purpose than to give you a get-out-of-hell-free card. Because of the things that he suffered in his flesh, we have a high priest that we can go to when we are tempted. Whenever, anybody ever get tempted? How about this morning? How many of you were tempted to shout at somebody on the way to church? How many of y'all, they didn't get your breakfast order right this morning and you were tempted? We get tempted. In our time of temptation, we can go to him in our need so that we don't have to live to the flesh anymore. We don't have to be slaves of sin anymore, right? And we can live our life towards the will of God. The rest of our time in this flesh, because of the power of the Spirit of God, because of the grace, because of the mercy, because of this passionate uh, high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, who, who is a faithful high priest, a compassionate high priest, a merciful high priest. Because of him, 
We can live a life under God that is pleasing. We can live, Romans 12, 1, and offer our bodies as living sacrifices, acceptable and pleasing to him. Right? We can live according to the will of God. I, I love this. One, one man of God said this, that, that the highest expression of the will of God is living life in the Spirit. You want to know how to, to find the will of God? And we're going to talk a little bit about this, what it, what it means that Jesus was justified or vindicated in the Spirit and what that means to us as believers. We can live a life under God that is pleasing. We don't have to be slaves to sin. Well, Pastor Chad, you don't understand. My daddy was like this. My grandfather was like this. My uncle was like that. I get it. My daddy had faults. My uncle had faults. My grandpa had faults. My, everybody had, in my family had faults. I went to one of the Hayes family reunions. My cousin came strung out on drugs, and he left the family reunion, beating himself over the head with a folding chair. Sin runs in my family, too. Right? Somebody said that their family put fun, the fun in dysfunctional. Anybody that can relate? We all come from a long line of sinners, but our position in Christ, the line is broken. The line is broken. And the psalmist said, the lines have fallen to me in a pleasant place. I've got a new family line. I can trace my roots back to Jesus. Amen? Church, we can live lives that are holy and well-pleasing to the God, to our God, acceptable. You don't have to be bound by that sin. You don't have to let that addiction control you. You, you don't have to let it get the best of you. To, listen, the power of God's Spirit through what Christ has done, Jesus didn't just come so you go to heaven. He came so we could live heaven on earth. Amen? As the children of God, as many as believe, as many as believe, we are the children of God. Not when we get there, now we are the children of God. And we are here to bring kingdom come to planet earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the Christian's heart. That's the Christian's cry. That's the Christian's desire that the will of God would be lived out on planet earth. And you know what? In your flesh, you cannot. But I'll tell you about my flesh, because he came in the flesh and died on a cross in the flesh. <coughs> I no longer live. It is not I who live. It is Christ who lives within me. For I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified. My old man died with him. My old nature died with him. And now I'm choosing every day to live life to the Spirit of God. We've got to make a decision. We're going to live unto God. We're not letting the old man rear up. We're going to die daily, and we're going to go on, and we're going to live according to the plans and purposes of God. And we can do it, not by our strength, not by our, our power, not by our might, but by the Spirit of God. And because of the work that Jesus has done, and because we have a high priest who is faithful to come to us in our times of temptation. We're overcomers. He causes us to triumph in everything. Amen. We're victors. If you're a victor, stand up. If you're more than a conqueror, stand up. Some of us stand up faster than others. Some of y'all had to clear your laps. Some of y'all got creaky backs. 
But it's all right. We're victors. <laughs> Father, I thank you for the gospel. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. I thank you for this good news. Thank you, Lord. Yes, God. This is the greatest message ever preached. You came in the flesh. You were vindicated in the spirit. The angels observed. This message has been preached to the nations. This world has believed. They're singing joy to the world today. You were received up into glory. Father, I thank you for this glorious message. I thank you for the hope of the gospel. There's hope for every single one of us. Even those who are far off, there's hope. There's peace with God through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you for the joy. of this life in Christ. Father, I lift every believer. We, we need you. We've got flesh and it stinks. Lord, I pray that you would help us to mortify this flesh. That we would not live to our old nature, but that we would be a people who live towards the Spirit of God. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that do your will, that everywhere that we go, we bring glory and honor to you, and that we shine as lights in a dark world, that we would salt the culture everywhere that we go. Lord, that you would work with us and see your kingdom established on this planet. Father, again, we say thank you. Thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for coming. We do today stand in awe of who you are. We stand in awe of all that you have done. We glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ.